Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast, the podcast for serious hockey players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their hockey careers. And now, here is your host, New England Hockey Journal's Kirk Ludicky. Welcome to the New England Hockey Journal RinkWise Podcast. This is your host, Kirk Ludicky. We're so glad you could join us. We've got a great episode today with Boston Pride head coach Paul Mara, former NHL defenseman and a Belmont native. But before we get to that, I want to tell you that our annual prep hockey preview issue is hitting the streets. Our November, December issue, print issue of New England Hockey Journal is out. It's hot and we are back to prep hockey after a season of COVID disruptions. And we are excited to continue to bring you prep coverage all season long. Go to hockeyjournal.com, sign up, become an exclusive content subscriber and as always, our podcasts are free. So if you want to be on the RinkWise subscription list, just go on to Apple, Spotify, HockeyJournal.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts and listen to our shows. And so now let's get to it. Our, our conversation with Paul Mara. We are live here with Paul Mara, head coach, Boston Pride, Belmont guy. Longtime NHL defenseman, now uh, coaching in the PHF, and uh, welcome to the show. We're so glad you could join us. Hey, appreciate you having me. It's uh, nice to be here to talk a little hockey. Yeah, absolutely, Coach. So as we get into this, you, you've, you've got such an interesting journey. Let's start with going back to the beginning, the basics. How did you, you know, where did you play your minor hockey? Who got you into it? Who inspired you? And, and how did that, those experiences build you to where you were able to go as a, as a junior player and then later uh, professional? Well, we're going back a long time here. Um, you know, I think if you look at my bio, I was born in New Jersey, but grew up here in Belmont um, pretty much my whole life. So Started early on playing in Belmont, uh, youth programs, um, South Shore Kings, um, ended up at prep school Belmont Hill, uh, right down the road, used to walk to school, which is very convenient. Um, played there for two years, freshman, sophomore year, and then from there, you know, it's was, it was one of those weird things, I played football, I played hockey, and I played baseball, and you know, after my sophomore year, people were like, I you might, might want to concentrate on hockey. Things are going pretty well for you. And I'm just like, I, I just want to go play football as a quarterback and the <laughs> football team. I was like, ah, they're like, no, you really should stop playing. And that summer, it's like, okay, I'll stop playing. Then, you know, Sudbury in the Ontario Hockey League drafted me. And, you know, we talked to them a bunch of times. It was actually a pretty good family representation with Bobby Orr Group and Jay Fee and, you know, advising me that ah, you should probably go up to Sudbury it's a great opportunity you have a chance to be a high draft pick and you know I'm a 16 year old kid being like eh, okay I guess so I don't really know I talked to my mom dad my brother and ended up making a decision that I was going to leave Belmont Hill um you know after my sophomore year started my junior year so up September of that year I think it was 1996 um went up to the Ontario Hockey League Sudbury Wolves and um you know 16 year old kid from Belmont, Massachusetts, going to Northern Ontario is like, oh, geez, this is kind of scary. This is what movies are made from with, you know, Youngblood and, <laughs> and uh, right. Slapshot. And, you know, it was pretty similar. It's like, oh, this is, this is tough hockey. I'm a little prep school kid, and now I have a half shield on, and players are fighting and, you know, whatever. But um, great experience up there. Um, lucky to be drafted by Tampa Bay Lightning um, that year, 1997. 
and um, things progressed from there. Drafted, started playing, and uh, here we are now. Awesome. So let's let's unpack some of that. So Joe Thornton, that was the that was yes. the Joe Thornton yeah. draft first overall. Sue, you know Sue Greyhounds, and you were in the Sudbury Wolves. Just uh, I mean, talk about a guy that has has persevered um, over the years. <laughs> but what was it like playing against uh, having to defend Joe Thornton yeah, that so, year? Yeah. So Jumbo Joe and I were the same draft year. Um, he was up in the Sioux, and I was in. Sudbury and you know every time we'd play each other it was sort of like okay these you know these are the two top draft picks coming into into this year's draft and you know I you know saw Joe at many many um I don't know pre-draft things and you know media events and you know I wouldn't say became friends with him but became pretty good acquaintances and just an awesome guy and you know I look at his career now he's still playing and I'm, <laughs> I'm coach I'm like I gotta get back into playing or something but you know he's had an un- unbelievable hall of fame career and um, you know, just an all-around awesome guy to to deal with and um, talk with, and um, you know, I just know the players that have played with him in junior and in the NHL just rave about the, the person that he is. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean that going up against guys like that and being around guys like that they just make you better. Yeah, I've I've always been you know a big proponent of you, you play with better players, you're going to become a better player, and uh, you know playing against guys like that. Um, trying to think of other players that were in the OHL at that time. Daniel Cleary um, right. was a Detroit Red Wing, won a cup. Um, you know, obviously Eric Brewer, um, he was a top five pick, I think. And just a bunch of different players that um, had long NHL careers from that draft um, that, you know, when you play against them, you want to compete at their level, you want to beat them. And I think that always makes you a better hockey player. 100%. So just curious, I mean, you you ended up, you made the choice to go to the OHL, but were you at the time looking into colleges and, and, and going the college route? Because, you you know, being a, a Belmont guy, that was kind of the traditional accepted route for most players in the area back then. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, first and foremost, that was our mindset. I think every kid from New England, I think Brian Burrard was one guy that went to Plymouth, and I actually ended up in Plymouth um, a year and a half later after Sudbury. But, um, you know, Growing up in New England, that's you want to play college hockey. You want to play at a, in the Bean Pot, BU, BC, Harvard, Northeastern, whatever it is school that you want to go to. Um, and actually, my brother, he went to Belmont Hill. He actually ended up at Colgate playing hockey at Colgate. So I was like, ah, maybe I can go to Colgate. Um, but I actually ended up talking to a few of the schools around here. I talked to Jackie Parker at um, BU. You know, I talked to Jerry York at BC, and um, you know that was pretty much where I was going to end up at you know, hopefully a Boston school, um, and the OHL came calling and you know, we thought that was the best route to go. No, yeah, no, it makes, makes sense. So the, the NHL, I remember that the one thing about that 97 class is it really, it was a lot of hype behind it. And you know, some, some great players. I mean, we, we talked about Joe Thornton, but the, you know, there was, there was a lot of talent. There was a lot of depth in that draft. And just as you got to the NHL, did you, did you, were you aware of that? that hype were you was that something that you you at least understood that was kind of going on or was media such back then that it isn't what it is today where you weren't just inundated and so you just kind of went in like any other season getting ready to play yeah I, I think you know we go into that draft year and there was so much talk of the players that were in that draft um you know I, I was so young short just tune it out I guess you're just like okay yeah sure there's an article on you here and there but um you know the media back in 1997 is nothing what it's compared to today with social media of all the different avenues that um you can read stuff and listen to things it's it wasn't like that back then um 
you know, I just remember it was, I think Bruins had the first overall pick and the eighth overall pick that year. And I was like, okay, it's seventh pick. Jeez, maybe I'll get to eight and I can be selected by the hometown Bruins. And, you know, obviously it was awesome being drafted by Tampa and um, the Esposito brothers, you know, drafted me, which was fantastic. And then Samsonov going eighth overall. And, you know, I know Joe and Sergey coming in with some high expectations in, in their uh, careers. So, um, but, I, you know, the media coverage back then is definitely wasn't as high as it was today. But there were very, very high expectations on, on that draft year. Yeah. And so going into the NHL, who were some of the early in your career when you were a young player and you're trying to trying to figure things out? There's always veterans there that can kind of kind of maybe take you under their wing and show you around. Who are some of the guys you played with that you really look back on and, and, and are appreciative in, in terms of what they were able to, to do for you to help you make that, that jump and teach you how to be a pro? That's, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's weird because I, I was in Tampa at a, at a time where, um, I don't know if you call it a rebuild, but we weren't doing very well. It was sort of bottom of the barrel on the Eastern Conference and just struggling to find our identity. Um, but there was a guy, Peter Svoboda, played in Buffalo. Sure. Um, he was at the end of his career in Tampa. And, you know, he, he, he taught me a lot on how to play the game, play the right way, intensity, focus every day, and and uh, just treat the game with respect and, and play it the correct way. Um, you know, I was traded to Phoenix, uh, you know, halfway through my second year. Um, and, you know, a guy there, Teppo Newman, um, you know, Finnish guy, great defenseman. Um, he, he showed me a lot. You know, I was there for five years with him and just being a true professional day in, day out, coming to practice, focused, coming to practice, um, looking like a professional. And, and, you know, I know Teppo is a big influence on my career. Yeah. It's triggering something. I knew you played in Phoenix, but your first two NHL destinations were non-traditional destinations. I mean, we're we're pretty close in age, and if someone had told me when I was in high school that the NHL would have, you know, would be in Tampa and yeah. and, and Phoenix, and that Winnipeg would move to Phoenix and uh, San Jose and all that, I wouldn't have believed it. What was it like for you to experience playing hockey in those in those markets? Uh, you know, it's one of those things, you know, back in the day, it, it, those two weren't hockey hotbeds. You go down to Tampa now and it's it's a sight. It's a it's a party. It's a awesome atmosphere to go to a game in Tampa. Back then, it, no, it really wasn't like that. We had our true diehard fans, obviously, that would show up to the games. But, um, you know, it's 75, 80 degrees in Florida every day and similar in Phoenix. And, you know, I think looking back on it, I was, you know, 19, 20 years old up till when I got traded to the Bruins, I think I was 25 or 26. And, you know, I don't think I appreciated living in the South um, back then because I was sort of pretty much just all focused on hockey. I look back on it now, it's like, I should have, you know, taken advantage of golfing in some of those courses in Arizona and Florida and, you know, maybe got a boat and, you know, gone on Tampa Bay and enjoyed myself a little bit more and um, with recreational activities like that. But, you know, I was so focused on hockey at, at such a young age that that's all you want to do, that's all you thought about, and, and try and get better and improve and try and stay in the NHL. How about the coaches that you, you know, that helped helped you as, as a young pro and really had an impact on you? Um, who, who, who were some of the ones that you really played for and respected and really, you know, helped teach you not only the game as a player but maybe imparted some wisdom that you've been able to use as a coach? 
I look back on and you know when I was in Phoenix, Rick Bonus. You know everyone right. knows who Rick was. He was here as a head coach in Boston and head coach. In, obviously, he's a head coach in Dallas now. But um, he was with me in Phoenix for the full tenure there. He actually, I think, he ended up being the head coach for. Uh, maybe a few games at the end of one season when one of the coaches was fired. But, you know, he really um, taught me a lot on, you know, similar type of being a professional, showing up to the rink every single day with a positive attitude, willing to learn, willing to improve, willing to get better. And, you know, he instilled that in me. You know, there'd be days when, you know, you come in there, you're just tired, and it's like, hey, you're here for an hour, hour and a half, you know be happy you know you're in the nhl why are you grumpy or why are you like you know, have a sour puss on your face hey you're in the nhl you're 22 23 years old come here get better enjoy yourself and and improve you know that's one of the things that you know when you professional athlete you need to improve every day because there's always someone that wants to take your job you know there's always someone younger someone older you know usually someone older that hey, you're 22 23 you're, you're taking a job of a 27 28 year old they want your job so you better come here with a focus every day that you, you want to improve and uh, get better every day i remember david wilkie who you you played yeah. against and yeah. he was my boss in, in Omaha. but he was he would talk to younger players and he would always tell them you you know you when you have the opportunity to play you never know who's watching you so whether you're practicing whether you're playing a game you need to give your you need to give it your your best effort and you know, your body language and everything your energy it has to be high because you never know if that person's you know going to make a, a judgment on you at that at point and never watch you again now, ironically i bringing up david wilkie i think he was in the uh in the lineup of my first nhl game in florida you know he was one of those players he was a bit older than me i think yeah. and you know had a good relationship with him but you know i was a younger guy and i'm coming in as a defenseman in tampa and it's like okay this kid wants to take my job you know and it's one of those things like you just said you have to come each and every day to improve and become better and you just never know when someone's watching yeah 100 percent. so as you yeah, you know, we talk about the different uh, locations and in being a, a Boston area guy growing up. What was it like for you? I remember it was around it was it was two thousand six because I remember Jeff Gorton talking about acquire you know having acquired you at the at the draft. The draft was in Vancouver, and that was the the Phil Kessel draft and the Brad Marchand draft, and and. Uh, so how did that all go down? How did you find out about it? And how, you know, how, how, what was your, your general reaction to having a chance to, to come home to, to play for the Bruins? Yeah, it was one of those things I remember, you know, I, I want to say it was June 24th, um, but right around, you know, late June, um, you know, we were trying to negotiate a contract with Phoenix. I just come off some two decent years where I think I had 42 and 47 points. So it's like, oh, okay, you know, this this could be a good time to get a good long-term deal going here in Phoenix. And obviously it didn't work out. Um, and I got a call from Mike Barnett, general manager of Phoenix, like, hey, Paul, you know, we've traded you. I'm like, you know, sort of knew it was coming, just didn't know the destination. He's like, yeah, I've traded you to Boston. I was like, whoa, yeah. right. you know, my heart awesome. like jumped out of my stomach and it was just like oh my god this 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 is incredible and then you know i think that day i think we had a contract two-year contract extension signed with boston which was which was amazing and you know coming to boston i was like okay this you know i'm 26 years old i think i was like you know this could be a place where i finished my career and um you know playing in my hometown get my family and friends and you know spend my summers here and just spend you know my whole life here it's it's gonna be awesome 
are there pressures? You know, people, we talk about, you know, local guys that come home to play for the Bruins. And I think there's, a, you know, there's, there's, there's one school of thoughts that says the locals don't do as well because they're, you know, they're home and there's distractions, there's pressures, whatever, whatever it could be. And then there's another school of thought that just says, hey, a lot of times it's, it's circumstances. It's, it might be the coaching staff. It might be your role. It might be where you are at that point in your career, where the team is. And, and, and it's not simply just, you know, an individual dealing with, with pressures. What are you, what were your, your thoughts on, on being a, a Bruin after growing up in Belmont and, and, and facing that challenge at a time when, you know, the Bruins were not, you know, were, were, were not at the top of the, of the food chain in the NHL. Yeah. There's definitely pressures that come along with playing at home. And, you know, I don't think the hockey is the pressure part of it. I think it's dealing with all the, you know, extra stuff. Okay. My family needs to be at the game. Oh, my friends are calling me for tickets. So I, you know, got to do this stuff. I got to do this, you know, outside of the rink. And I think when you get to the rink, you know, the hockey part takes care of itself, but it's one of those things where, you know, on a, on a, Bruins usually play at home on Thursday night. Says most people know you get, you know, 10, 15 text messages or calls on Thursday morning. Hey, can I get a couple of tickets this game? And then you're sort of scrambling around, running around, trying to find tickets instead of, you know, doing your normal game day routine. You're trying to worry about, you know, taking care of, you know, friends that want to come to the game and all this other stuff. And I think it's the outside influences that, you know, if you can sort of push those aside, let someone else take care of that stuff, then um, the local kids will be that much better um but coming into that year i think the expectations of the bruins were were high you know i think we just signed mark savard and chara was first first year signing that year and i think we had some pretty high expectations and you know i don't think the team lived up to the billing that we're we you know we had why do you think that was <laughs> i it's it's one of those things i i don't know i think um I think Dave Lewis, it was his first year coaching. He came from Detroit, and, you know, I think it's, you know, you come from Detroit Red Wings where you're the coach of, you know, Federoff and Iserman and all these, winning all these cups, and you come to Boston and you have these players that they just signed. It's a totally different group, and I just, you know, I don't know if it was the systems. I honestly don't even remember what our systems were back then. It's just, you know, the group didn't gel to you know the extent we wanted to in that first year yeah no and it's that's it it is you you talk about i i came from the ushl and it's tough to win in that yeah. league and man nhl it's really tough to, yeah. to to win in that league but i mean i just you know it was it was interesting to look at the dynamic i went back and looked at some of those those teammates you had on on that that bruins team and there was one in particular who is still here yeah. uh, but at the time he was in his second you know would have been his third it was his third pro season, but because of the lockout, it was the second NHL yeah. uh, season, and that's Patrice Bergeron. I, I, you know, we have so many Bruins fans listen to this to this podcast, and I, they can never get enough of thirty seven. <laughs> so, just curious, as having been in, been there as a teammate and 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 seeing him in there, he wasn't even he hadn't. I mean, he, I think he was uh, not even twenty, uh, or he was twenty one, or maybe not. Yeah, he was he yeah. was the youngest. That year, year he was the youngest mm-hmm. Bruin player to ever score thirty goals in a season. Yeah, Bergie's one of those special, you know, once in a generation type players. You know, I remember him as a rookie in Boston. You know, I was playing in Phoenix, and um, my brother's like, "You got to see this kid Bergeron play." And I'm like, "He's 18 years old. What are you talking about?" And we come in, into Boston, and I remember going into the corner with him and. He gave me this reverse shoulder that just put me on on my back. I'm like, 
the hell was that? And I look, and it was 37 Bergeron. I was like, went to my brother after the game. I was like, holy mackerel, he's strong for an 18-year-old kid. Um, and then, you know, a year or two later, traded Boston, and um, just seeing how he progressed is, is phenomenal. But um, someone asked me the other day about Bruins tickets. Hey, you know any players that are still playing? I was like, you know, Bergeron's the only guy still there from, from the team when I played. So, um, you know, but he, he's a special player, and he's one of those players that, is so dedicated to the game, dedicated to improving each and every night. It's, you know, I, I don't know if people watch things on Nessanen, but, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think they had a game and they lost, and they had back-to-back games. The next day he was on the ice the next morning shooting pucks from a certain area, top of the circle in that sort of honeypot slot right in the, you know, hash mark area, and I think he ended up scoring four goals that that game and you know it's such a good lesson for younger kids being like hey things aren't going well practice practice harder and practice is things that you need to improve on and he need to improve his shot from that area and he scored four goals and it's just a you know a testament to how Bergie works and how his mind is like you know I didn't have a great night last night something's got to change I got to go out and work harder and um, bring it and you know I feel like you know if you practice things that you need to improve and you keep repetition repetition it's it's going to come yeah quiet kid but mature you know he always had that and that was the thing I, I i got to know him a little bit as a teen and that he always brought that seriousness and he understood he wasn't the biggest the tallest guy so he had to be strong and just a, such a smart hockey player but it was all about the details and habits and yeah it's it's one of those things with with Berge. he he does every thing so well you know in you look at his face-off percentage, and you know that's such a key component of the game now. He's one of the best centers to win face-offs in, in the league. You know, defensively, I don't think there's a better forward in the past 15 years than than Patrice. And you know, offensively, he's just a man of consistency, throwing up 25 to 40 goals every single year for as many years he had. It's just just a true testament of the player that he is. Awesome. So. Boston didn't work out long term, but you ended up on Broadway. So, and just curious, like the contrast. That, I mean, you, there have been some some players over the years that have you know done, gone back and forth between you know the, the Bruins and the Rangers. But how was that experience of playing for them? Yeah, I remember the day I was traded. You know, obviously, I wasn't thrilled about it. Um, you know, I thought, like I said, I was going to end my career in Boston. It's like, you know, being a Boston kid, you don't really like New York. You don't like the Yankees. You don't like anything about um, the city of New York. And, you know, I got down there, and I was staying on the Upper West Side, 77th and Broadway. And I'm just like, holy mackerel, the city is huge. It's mm-hmm. almost, like, overwhelming. And you're just like, okay, well, it is what it is. It's, And then, you know, I know that first – I think I got traded at 3 o'clock. I got the call, maybe 2. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey – we want you here for tonight's game. I'm like, okay. So I rushed around. I, I was actually in Belmont. Actually, my nieces were born that day, so I was actually on the way to the hospital to see my brother's kids who were just born. I get the call. I actually was listening to radio, and they're like, hey, the Bruins just made a trade. They traded Paul Mara to the Rangers. That's how you found out? And that's how I found Ooh, out. And tell that, me more about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's been a little, you know, 15 years now. I've been keeping it out on my chest. That I was pretty pretty grumpy about that. So I hear on the radio, um, and they're like, yeah, the Bruins just made a trade. They traded Paul Mara for Aaron Ward. I'm like, looking at my phone, I'm like, this can't be true. So I'm like, Ten minutes later, I get a call from Peter Shirelli, and he's like, Paul, you've been traded. I'm like, I know, Peter. I just heard on the radio. He's like, all right. 
So I got my stuff, get to the airport. There, ironically, I think they had the Knicks were playing in Boston that night against the Celtics. So the Rangers had their plane there. And they're like, hey, you know, Knicks and Rangers are owned by the same same people. So jumped on the plane. They flew me down to Westchester to like police escort down to the Garden. Um, didn't make the game in time. I think it got there like seven oh five. So, but it's just like okay, this is this is how they do things here. This is first class, first rate, and um, you know it took a week or two to realize and sort of learn your spots in New York. But what an awesome place! You know, I ended up being there for, I think for three years and three playoff runs, and just just an incredible organization, first class with everything they do and. Just what a fabulous city to live in for three years. Wow, yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, it is. It's, uh, I mean, it's original six, right? And there's something to be said about that, just the tradition and the history with those organizations. And you know, Who are some of the guys that you, you know, just look back fondly on that were your teammates that you really, you know, established a good, strong connection to or really respected for what they did? Yeah, we, we had some, some really good teams there. Um, you know, Chris Drury, um, he was the captain of our team then became – really close with him he's obviously the gm and president now of the rangers um scott gomez who i played with growing up in usa teams um he was there for my tenure as well um you know another guy colt nor who's actually a coach in in our league now with connecticut whale you know remained friends with him for the last 15 years and talked to him frequently um but just new york in general was just such a great place and the way they treated their players um in the Rangers organization was it was second to none, and it's one of those things where I played for Phoenix, I played for Boston, I played for Tampa, and then going to New York, and the practice facilities and just the way they handled everything was like, wow, this is this is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, Chris Drury's son Luke is pretty. He's a '05, pretty good, pretty good little <laughs> hockey player. Plays on that mid Fairfield team. Yeah. I just saw him this is that weekend. Was St. Louis coaching. That's right. Marty, that okay. they they won that. The 16 team yeah. won the won the Connecticut uh, playoffs this weekend. But that you know, number 11 uh, for mid Fairfield. Yeah. He's got got some of the old man in him for sure. He's he's got a <laughs> high good. motor, yeah. very athletic, and you can't miss him. Oh, that's goes good. to the net. So, and that's a great thing. And that's a you know that's a good you know you you had so many experiences and 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 memories i'm sure that are you know you'll just never forget you grew as a person and then and then when you're you then one day it was it was you know it was done new england hockey journals Rinkwise podcast will return after this message catch the sacred heart university pioneers on the ice this season the Pioneers Division I men and women's hockey programs will not disappoint. Season ticket packages and individual tickets are on sale now at sacredheartpioneers.com. And opening in 2023, Sacred Heart University's Martiri Family Arena, a brand new 122,000 square foot premier skating facility in Fairfield, Connecticut. Learn more at sacredheartpioneers.com. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. 
Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. If you love college hockey and want an inside look at the game, get a copy of the book, Great Game, D1 College Hockey, People, Places, Perspectives. From the emotions of Frozen Fours to the atmosphere and classic venues, Bruce Haas has captured the passion that people have for the college game through interviews with players, coaches, officials, and fans. No other book captures the spirit of college hockey like this does. Great Game makes a great gift for the holidays for a college hockey fan. Score your copy of Great Game today on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, AtascaBooks.com, or at your local bookstore. You know, after my, you know, with the Rangers, I signed in Montreal for a year. I had shoulder surgery, um, I think at the end of that season. Ended up signing Anaheim, then traded back to Montreal and finished that year. I think it was the year the Bruins won the Cup, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I took a year off. I, I, my mind wasn't into it. I just was like, you know what, I'm, I think I was 31, maybe 32, and I was just like, I really don't have the energy to focus on hockey anymore I just wanted a break and um, you know I ended up coaching a high school team down in Cape Cod where I live and um, then the following year I was like yeah maybe I'll give it a shot I was living out in California moved out to California um, played for a team um, Ontario Rain the guy I was coaching that I knew he's like why don't you just come out and maybe coach a little bit maybe play and played there for six six months maybe and with the Houston Arrows that year John Torchetti was a good buddy of mine was coaching he's like want to finish the year with us help us in the playoffs and I did and then after that I was just done um and it was one of those things where I went out on my own terms you know I could have probably kept playing and squeezed out a few more years but um I think the grind was over and you know the summers of skating and working out and eating healthy and all that stuff it just for so long I was just wasn't mentally there anymore and just decided to hang them up you raise an important point. It's it's something that, that players at all levels can really, you know, benefit from and and learn from. And that is, I mean, you have to do it for you, and you have to understand that there. If you're going to play the sport at the highest levels, uh, you have to be committed. And you don't have a normal life. You talked mm-hmm. about you know, eating right and just the schedule, the things you give up, the family milestones and events that you'll miss because you're you know you're a dedicated professional. And 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 at the younger ages it's more and more it's more and more of a a, a commitment so you know you have to sometimes it takes real courage to know you know that hey i'm not i'm not fully invested and and make that decision to walk away yeah i think it's one of those things and you know i preach with my team now about mental focus and um it's one of those things where you have to be 100 percent invested into your craft you know and at such a young age, you know, I know, remember started working out, you know, I think I was 16 years, 15, 16 years old. And um, to be dedicated to be the best at your sport, you have to give 100% effort all the time. And that's, you know, not only in the gym, but eating healthy, um, practicing the right way, training the right way. And it's hard. It's, you know, it's, it's not easy. And I think, you know, a lot of people look at it, it's such a glamorous life playing in the NHL, but you know, you don't. I don't think a lot of people see the sacrifices that these players make on a day-to-day basis. From 
you know, obviously summer's off. Oh, well, you have the summer's off. Well, the summer's are the time when these players work their hardest. You, you know, these players are up at, you know, 6, 7 in the morning, going to the gym, going on the ice, doing things um, to make them a better hockey player. You don't just become a better hockey player by showing up at training camp and going on the ice. It's, it's the hard work put in from, you know, end of May or June, whenever the season ends, until training camp. And that's when these players work the hardest, which a lot of people don't see because it's behind the scenes and the cameras aren't there. But, you know, those are the toughest times for players doing that because, you know, summertime everyone's out on their boat doing, going on vacation, doing all these different things where, you know, hockey players are in the gym, on the ice, doing the things that they need to do to improve their craft. And it's work outside of the rink, right? It's not enough to just simply say, hey, I'm going to put in the work when I when I go to the rink. There's so much more that goes into it. And, you know, it's something as simple as getting the right amount of sleep, you know, not staying up till 2 in the morning playing video games or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's 100% true. It's like you, you need your sleep. Sleep has always been a weapon, and I've always used that. Um, you know, you're not staying up till 2, 3 in the morning, going out having fun or playing video games or whatever, people do nowadays you know it's dedication and eating healthy and um, you know I've always enjoyed my cheeseburgers and steak and cheese probably to a fault and you know now I can you know I <laughs> don't have to worry about going in into the gym and but um you know stepping back, on the scale yes yeah oh gosh <laughs> I, I don't do that anymore I used to do that rigorously every every day like okay I'm, you know up a pound or down a pound I gotta you know do this or do that um you know eating healthy uh, that was one thing that I, I I don't miss that anymore you know brown rice and chicken and vegetables all the time and now it's like okay i can i can have that cheeseburger and french fries and and not feel guilty still look pretty good man. <laughs> yeah thanks. still look pretty yeah. good <laughs> um so let's let's you mentioned your team let's that we really it's it's uh it's got to be it's got to be just special to to know that you get to work with elite athletes and you can pull them together and uh work toward a goal and then get there and that's something the boston pride did as as, you know isabel cup champions and uh just i guess how did it how did it all come together for you in terms of getting that opportunity and 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 what pulled you to that to that opportunity in that direction yeah so it's one it's it, it goes back to chris drury actually from from my buddy with the rangers um you know i was 2016 I was coaching, help coach Belmont Hills, assistant coach there, driving up to practice one day and get a call from Chris. And he's like, hey, you know, U.S. Women's National Team is, is looking for a coach to go out there and help them for a 10-day camp out in Plymouth, Michigan in in December. I'm like, all right, yeah, I, you know, I'd be interested in doing that. It's like, okay, you know, Reagan Carey's a general manager of the team. He's like, okay, I'm going to tell Reagan, give her your number. And like, all right, sweet. This was probably late October, early November. Um, no, it was, let me retract that. It was right at Thanksgiving time. Okay. Um, because the camp started December 10th. So go up to Belmont Hill, Reagan calls me and she's like, Hey Paul, Reagan cares. Like, Oh, you know, we'll just talk for a little bit. She's like, love to have you come out to this, you know, training camp we have for 10 days. We're playing two games against Canada. And I was like, all right, great. Um, so go out there for 10 days you know, work with these players. And um, just from day one, you, you get on the ice with these women and you're like, you know, I've never worked with women hockey players ever before. Um, or even, I don't even think I skated with anyone before. And you get on the ice with them, like, wow, these players are, these players are fantastic. They're just, like, I was in awe of how, how good they were. Because, you know, you, you look at women's hockey, you know, and just it's not as publicized as, 
um, people would like it to be and worked with them um, for 10, 10 days, came home and um, get a call from Reagan. She, you know, I think we had seven or eight players from the national team living in the Boston area and she asked me if I would skate with them twice a week and just you know put them through some drills, do some you know over speed training with them. Did that. We had another camp in February. Um, actually down in Attleboro for four or five days and they asked me to be a coach uh, the assistant coach for the women's national team I was like awesome you know we had the world championships coming up in April and so came the assistant coach head coach was Rob Stauber we ended up going to world championships win the gold medal and the Olympic tryouts were that May um, they asked me to be assistant coach for the Olympic team for the 2018 Olympic team go to Seoul, Korea, win the gold medal, obviously, which was an awesome experience, and come home from there, and, um, you know, Haley Moore, who's, you know, vice president of the AHL, and Danny Ryland, you know, call me and want to have a meeting with me, and, you know, ask me if I'd want to be the head coach of the Boston Pride, and I was like, absolutely, you know, sort of, definitely, it's, you know, you know, I I knew who they were, just because a bunch of the players played on the Boston Pride, and, um, I was like, absolutely, you know, took the job and um, been been grateful ever since. Wow. So let's go back just a, just a, a twitch. I'd, I'd forgotten about the Olympic connection. So, A, just playing the Olympics in in Korea, That's that, that had to be quite a culture, a bit of a culture shock for you guys. But B, just how special was that just in terms of the – the women coming together like they did and, and, and winning that after there had been so many disappointments over the years. It was, it was amazing. Um, just from starting skating with those players in 2016, you know, there's been so much heartache on the women's side. You know, they obviously won it in 1998, um, gold medal, but they hadn't won it right. since then. You know, a bunch of silver medals and, you know, the, the team led with by you know Megan Duggan and Casey Bellamy and a lot of local players here, um, from day one it's like we're winning the gold medal. That was their mindset, and you could see it with their training, with their intensity, with their focus. And um, you know we we moved down to Tampa that year for seven months before the Olympics to train and get ready. And their singular focus was winning a gold medal, and nothing wavered from them. And they were so dedicated. It was just just amazing to see and to go over there and um, win it and fashionably won it, which is pretty exciting. Um, was just awesome for these players and for their careers, and just something that you know they'll never forget. I'll never forget, and will always cherish. You talked at the very beginning. You were talking about being a multi-sport athlete, and I, you know, I didn't follow up. But this is kind of a it's it's an interesting trend. But I'm I'm interested in just the pure, the raw athletic ability of your players, uh, you know, on the Olympic team, on the Boston pride, and just in, in your experience with them, like how, how many of them, you know, were, you know, were in our, you know, were multi-sport athletes, at least growing up to, to hone those, those skills. Cause at, at, at some point everyone has to focus on hockey to be high level players, but they just, the, they see, you know, you watch them, they're very clearly athletic. What are some of the, the sports that you see them typically doing that, that hone those hockey skills for them? Yeah, I, I think every um, professional athlete is a multi-sport athlete. Um, you look at the players, not only on the Olympic team, but on the Boston Pride team now, and just their warm-ups, their skills with the soccer ball. You're like, okay, you know, obviously a lot of these, you know, a lot of these players played soccer, and then, you know, there's a few on our team now that 
you know, throw the football around. It's like, wow, they have a better arm than I do for crying right. out loud. <laughs> you know, they're just pure athletes. Um, they're not just hockey players. They can go out there and, you know, probably get on the basketball court and, you know, compete with anyone. Um, Lacrosse. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things. They're, they're just amazing athletes in general. And I think that's probably true with, with most hockey players. You look at them and it's like, like a lot of them are great lacrosse players. A lot of them are great soccer players because they are fast and they are, can run and they can move. And, um, you know, I've always been a big advocate on playing multi, multi-sports and being a great athlete. You know, you know, if you're a hockey player, you know, that can help your footwork in soccer. And if you're a football player, that can help your footwork in hockey. And, you know, baseball can help your hand-eye coordination, you know, playing on the ice and helping your hands out. So I feel like, you know, the better athlete you are, the better you'll be in any sport. Yeah, no question. So you go from winning Olympic gold, you get to the Boston Pride in you know, over a couple of seasons, how did you, how did you build it? How did you get this, you know, get your, get your team to, from where you started to, to ultimately finishing on top last year? Yeah, I think when the season before I got to Boston Pride, you know, I think it was a down year, I think well below 500. And um, I got there and, you know, I think, you know, I, I was sort of given the opportunity to run the hockey side of things where it's like, hey, you get to pick your team, you know, you you know, I'm not the general manager, but I'm sort of director of who's going to be on our team. I don't sure. know what they call that. But, um, you know, I wanted to bring a culture to Boston of first having awesome people, you know, high-character players in the locker room, and then on the flip side, making them or having great players as well. But I think first and foremost, we wanted to build a, a locker room environment where everyone – gets along everyone is cohesive and you know i've been an advocate of i feel like the best teams on the ice are the best teams off the ice and closeness and you know obviously there's teams that have clicks and this and that and some people get along some people don't but i wanted our team to everyone in the locker room can gel and be awesome people as, as well as players and you know i think in the in you know the four this is my fourth year i think we've had that culture of winning which is great but in our locker room I, I don't think you can find a combination better of 20 players that actually enjoy being around each other each and every day um and i, I think that's carried over to the ice yeah and it starts with your leaders yeah you, you know it's one thing to pick the right players and i've always been a, a proponent of it isn't about necessarily the best players I and mean, it certainly helps but you got to have the right players but then once you get the right players, you also have to have the right leaders, the right people that you know are going to enforce the vision and the message. And really, you know, it's all about pulling, you know, rowing hard in the same direction. And, and your leaders will will do that. How are how is your leadership group? Our, you know, our leadership group, you know, led by Jillian Dempsey, our captain, our two assistant captains, um, Kaylee Fratkin and McKenna Brand, are, are the epitome of who you want to lead your team. Um, you know, Jillian Dempsey is the Patrice Bergeron of the NWHL where um, she's just a true leader on the ice and off the ice Um, in similar fashion that story with Patrice shooting the pucks she's identical to that you know she goes out and has a game and she misses a shot you know the next day after practice she's there for 15-20 minutes you know emulating that exact shot and you know making it right and then the next day she'll score in that regard and it's just another example of hey go out and work on the things you need to and you know come to fruition on the ice and you'll score those goals but 
you know, she's a true leader, the way she works, the way she um, handles herself both on and off the ice and just, just an all around awesome person. And, you know, our assistant captains are, are the same way with, you know, McKenna and Kaylee, they just go about their everyday business like a professional. Um, they treat the game with respect and they play the game the right way. And, they work so hard and tirelessly to improve their craft. And, you know, I think that has, you know, transformed to our younger players that have come along. Like, okay, this is this is how it should be done. And, you know, now our younger players are emulating them and their practice habits and the way things should be done. Tell me more about Kaylee Fratkin because I participated in the media day and, and saw her on the on the Zoom, the league Zoom call. And uh, I was really impressed with just the way she carried herself. And you can you can tell a lot about people just in terms of their personality and their body, just even doing something like that. And, uh, you know, she's obviously an accomplished hockey player, but she just seems like that, that person that really provides a lot of energy and a lot of leadership by example, you know, for the team behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Kaylee came to us from... The New York Riveters, her Metropolitan Rivers now, and um, you know I talked to a bunch of people about her before we um, signed her, and then, uh, she's just one of those players that uh, you want on your team. You don't want to be playing against Kaylee, and it's I'm trying to think of a defenseman that you can compare, you know, sort of like a Scott Stevens type player. Well, that's yeah, quite <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's like, oh boy, you yeah. better keep your head up. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's one of those things. Like I don't, I don't even play a three on three game because I don't, you know, she'll my cross check me and um, the way she plays the game, she plays it so hard with so much intensity. Um, you know, she's been the defender of the year the last two years in our league, and um, from the time she came to us to the time now, she's she, she she's a player that I, I would. You know, and we have built our team around. She's the kind of player you want on the ice all the time. She's the kind of player you want in the locker room, um, and she's you know just just an all around awesome player and awesome person. How about some of your younger players? You know, and how how are they? You know, when when you're when you're approaching it from a coach, you know, it's a coach's standpoint, it's, it all comes down to trust. You mm-hmm. have to trust, and and this is so this is such an important point for for players. You know, and to, to understand it, and, and even coaches, because it's a two-way street, right? You got to trust them; they have to trust you. Um, but for younger players coming onto your team, you know, how, how, what are some of the things they're doing to earn your trust and, and and be able to establish themselves as players on the Boston Pride? You know, I, my coaching mentality might be different than someone else's, and um, I think each coach has their own different routines and styles. Um, you know, with my team personally. Um, you know, I trust my players to make the right right plays. They all have high, high hockey hockey IQ. Um, they all came from high-end Division One schools where they were, you know, first-line, second-line players, and they know how to play the game. Um, I trust them to go out there and use their skill, use uh, or make the right plays at the right time. And, um, you know, obviously players are going to make mistakes no matter what, but, you know, you take those mistakes and – quickly learn from them and just improve on things you know they are so highly skilled that we want to let them use their skill use their imagination and, and make plays out there and i think players start realizing that you know after a couple of days like hey let's try this offensively and they're like well shouldn't we play you know the defensive style in that regard so like no hey use your imagination you want to play offense you want to score goals that that's what we're about here and having fun you know playing defense isn't really that much fun um 
so we, we just try and trust our players on the ice to make the right decisions and um, even if they do make a mistake here and there obviously they're going to you know we trust them to go back on the ice and 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 make up for that and um, just make great plays yeah, and that creativity is important, right? And there's a, there's a, oftentimes there's discussions about stifling, you know, that, you, that it's a fine line between coaching a, a lot of structure and and teaching players the game, and then also being so structured that you might stifle uh, a player's creativity. And it's you know it's it's I think it's something that that different coaches have different philosophies about, and some struggle with, and others don't. Yeah, it's one of those things, you know. There's never the same play in any hockey game ever. Um, so, you know, our philosophy is just, we can give them the blueprint of what may happen, what will help us win a game or make the right play. But, you know, if, if we're going down on a three-on-two and we think their defensemen are going to do this, but then in the game, game time decisions, people make different decisions they don't, that's where it's like, okay, use your hockey IQ on what to do. We gave you the blueprint on what might be successful, but 99% of the chance times that's not going to be the case. So, hey, you guys are smart, incredible hockey players. You know, use your imagination, use your creativity to, to figure it out. And, you know, I think we give the, the players the freedom to do that. And, you know, it's just some of the plays they make with that ability um, has been incredible to watch. You know, sometimes coaches can, you know, hey, three on two, one person drive the net, one person stay here and make the play. And it's like, well, what happens if their defenseman takes that drive away and takes that you know, drop pass away? What, what do I do now? Well, you know, that's where you have to figure things out, and I think we give the, our players a freedom to, to make the right plays. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your staff and the people behind the scenes at the, at the Pride that are really working to you know, help the team be successful and, and, and build continue to build that brand in the, in, in the Boston area. Yeah, we have an awesome staff here in Boston. I think it's... Um, you know, one of the best. You know, I have an assistant coach, Johnny McGinnis, um, played at Lawrence Academy, played at Mankato State, and he's uh, been with me now for two years. Um, just an awesome kid. You know, played probably 10 years, um, you know, jumping around the minors, but just highly skilled, high, high energy, just really fun guy and that players have taken to, which is, which is great. Um, you know, we have a great athletic trainer who's been with me for four years now. Um, all, all four years here in Boston. I have a small story. He was actually a trainer for me back when I was at Belmont Hill. Oh, okay. And I, you know, he, I didn't even know that he was a trainer for the Boston Pride. He called me, left me a message like, hey, Paul, Jerry Foster here. I'm your trainer in Boston. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah. And uh, so he, he's been incredible. You know, he, he was trainer for the Providence Bruins for a while and up at UNH and Maine Mariners. So, you know, he's always won. Um, a lot of experience. A lot of experience where I can always go to him and ask him some advice and things to do. But um, So he's been great. Um, and it's just the staff that we have. We have Colleen Coyne now, the president, and Danielle Rocco. She's our general manager. They both played high-end Division One. Danielle played at Brown. And um, Colleen, obviously, at UNH and winning a gold medal in 1998. So just right. their experience around has been great. Um, and just have... You know, great hockey people around the Pride is is always nice. So we've talked about your Pride players. Talk about a couple of the players around the league that you've coached against. You've seen maybe you've coached maybe you coached them on the Olympic team, the women's national teams, and who do who do the listeners need to be paying attention to? And in, in terms of players you really respect, not only for their ability but the way they play the game and the way they they conduct themselves as professionals. 
Um, there's there's a lot of players that come to mind. Um, you know, Minnesota was obviously here two weeks ago, and uh, they have a player, number nine, Allie Thunstrom. Yes. Um, she played at Boston College from Minnesota. Just just an all-around awesome player. Probably one of the fastest um, skaters I've seen seen on the ice. Um, but we tried to get her here Boston this year. just didn't work out. Um, yeah, she was another one on the media day. Yeah, she she's a great player. She's always been a, a killer against us. Every you know, four years now, every time I'm like, hey, watch number nine. She flies, and I feel like every game she has two or three goals and an assist, and it's just like she's been our nemesis now for four years. Going um, one of these days, we'll shut her down. She's or you'll get her in the yeah. In the black I, and I, gold, I, right? I tried this year. I tried <laughs> to get her to come back here to Boston. And just just didn't work out you know minnesota people love minnesota and um so she stayed there but um you know there, there's a player mvp league grant mentis up in toronto um who's fantastic their captain shy dark angelo's a fantastic player up in toronto as well they come here i think december 4th and 5th so if you know fans want to come out and see those two great players you know hopefully you can shut them down um but there's so many awesome players throughout the league that you know the parity that we have now with all six teams is is amazing where you know a few years ago it's like okay you know connecticut's coming to town this could be a seven eight nothing game well now it's you know they beat us on sunday there every team is improved and every team has such amazing players that they're great games every week and how you know people who want to get to the games what do they need to you know what what's what's the basics to get them you know to to encourage people to come out and get them there yeah, we, we play at um, Warrior Rice Arena. Um, obviously, the schedule's online. I think it's bostonpride.com. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's amazing because, you know, so many people have come to our games and they're like, holy mackerel, this is amazing hockey. And um, I think we've had sellouts now. You know, obviously last year we didn't play at home, but the year before that, I think we sold out our last eight games at home. We sold out two weeks ago on a Saturday night. And um, the fans that come to the game have such an awesome experience because Warrior Rink is such a great place to watch a game. It's compact, you're close to the ice, and you can see the skill, you can see the speed of, of these players, and um, it, everyone always comes back. A little cold. It is freezing. Bring um, your jackets. I remember my first day coaching there, I wore a suit, and I basically couldn't feel myself after the game, so I ended up getting a winter jacket that I wear on the bench now. Well, yeah, no no doubt. Um, well, it's a great it's a great group, uh, great league. I really like the way the, the direction's going. It's awesome to, to have a Boston team, you know, be, be in the championship. Yeah. See, you know, it's funny. I saw something on Twitter the other day, and they were like, oh, it's X thousand, you know, 100 days or 1,000 days since the, you know, Boston team has won a championship. And I was like, eh. No, yeah. not not true. Don't forget <laughs> about the pride. Yes. Uh, they reset it. So um, it's been great having you. And if uh, we could just uh, keep you on hand for just one more uh, little bit here, we're going to do the. Uh, we're gonna put you on the hot seat a little Ooh. bit and do the rapid fire round. Sounds fun. It's time for rapid fire. Okay. So first first question for you: Favorite uh, NHL defenseman growing up? Brian Leach. Wow, not Ray Bork. No, it, it was weird. For <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, for some reason, I had I loved the New York Rangers when I was a kid. I remember I made a collage of you know Mike Van Beesbrook and Mark Messier and Brian Leach. And um, it's funny, I lived in Avon, Connecticut for two years when I was younger. And ironically, Brian Leach was at Avon Old Firms. I think it was 1986 when I was living there, and he was a senior. 
and for some reason I always just had an affinity for the way he played and watched him growing up and um, now I'm actually you know decent friends with him belong to the same golf club live a mile apart down the cape and see him all the time yeah fantastic small world I served in the army with his brother okay next question (laughs) favorite sport outside of hockey football okay favorite non-hockey athlete I got to come back to that one. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, how about favorite vacation spot? Somewhere in the Caribbean. Okay. It sounds good. Toughest player you had to defend in the NHL? Matt Sundin or Mike Madano. Okay. Very good. And uh, favorite breakfast item? Yogurt. What flavor? Strawberry banana. Sounds good. Can we get can we get that uh, favorite non hockey athlete or non hockey athlete out of you now? Probably Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox. There we go. And uh, if everyone, that concludes the rapid fire round. Coach Mara, you survived. And uh, again, we want to thank you so much for joining us on the Rinkwise podcast today. All right, appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed the talk with Paul Mara, head coach, Boston Pride. We appreciate Paul coming into the studio and talking with us and sharing his insights. It's always so interesting to, to find out direct from the source and these, these former players and current coaches what made them tick and the types of insights that are helpful. So we hope you enjoyed it, and we look forward to seeing you next time, and uh, we'll see you at the rink. Thanks for listening to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at NE Hockey Journal, on Instagram and Facebook at New England Hockey Journal, and subscribe to New England Hockey Journal online at hockeyjournal.com. New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise is a Siemens Media Podcast.